think about our lives, we, we have something that's part of us that we want to change. Right? Whether it's a, a circumstance in our life that we, would, we want to go away or to be different or more satisfying, whether, it is, uh, whether it's an issue of health, uh, like you want to lose weight or uh, something's going on. Uh, I think we all have something that we would like to see that wa- was different. But I also think that, that that's harder than it seems for us because at some point it becomes easier to live with the circumstance or the condition or the problem than it is to, to do something a little bit different. Uh, as as Lars mentioned, I do discipleship coaching, and one of the clients that I had early on, when I was just getting started, uh, he had come to me because he wanted to make a change of vocation. He wanted to do something that he felt was more in line with who he was as a follower of Christ. And so, as is our process uh, of coaching, I... Uh, I asked him questions, we kind of sorted out the whys and the whats, and at the end of each of our session sessions, we're left with some, some next steps for him, to, for him to pursue. And we went through this pattern for several weeks. Uh, he would start the session, I really want to change my vocation, uh, I, I want to do something more online with who I am as a follower, we'd end with some next steps, and then we'd get to the next session, and I'd ask him about the steps so we could break it down and learn and, and see what had to happen next, and nothing. I didn't do anything, I didn't have time, I didn't get to it, and there was, there was a litany of excuses. Now, I don't want to waste people's time. I don't want to waste people's money when we're doing this. So after uh, three or four weeks of this, I, I finally began our session with a question. Do you really want to change your vocation? Because it really doesn't seem like it. Your, your behaviors are not matching what your words are saying. And that was, that was a chance for us to talk, and it was a chance for change. It took that confrontation. And so we, we see something similar here in this passage in John that, that we're going to talk about. Uh, today's essential question is, do you want to get well? I did begin this series last summer when I was here during Anthony's vacation, but don't worry. If you weren't here, you don't remember, a lot of time has passed, uh, there is no quiz. Okay, so there's no, no prior knowledge. Each of, these, each of these questions stands on their own. So I want to go back to John 5. I want to reread the first few verses. So if you have a Bible, if you have the Bible app on your phone, or if you just want to read it on the screen, they're going to be there to follow along. So uh, Jesus is is in Jerusalem, and here we go, John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So, we're told that there, there's the, these pools and there, there's colonnades. And actually, this, this area has been found in Jerusalem. Archaeologists found it. These pools, there was two pools side by side. And if you don't know what a colonnade is, I didn't. I had to look it up. A colonnade is a series of columns that can be used to support a covering. And so 
we have these two pools and there was a colonnade in the middle with a cover and then going in each of four directions there was another colonnade so there was a covering and that's where that's where people would that's where people would congregate and so uh, if you're reading uh, in, in a print version or, or your phone version, different versions might include verse 4. I don't know if you noticed when we were reading that we skip over verse 4. Verse 4 gives a little more detail about the pools and why people were congregated there. But verse 4 was what's called a gloss, G-L-O-S-S. And what that means is sometime after decades of translating the Bible and you get further and further away from the times of Jesus and, and Jerusalem was destroyed uh, in the meantime, it wouldn't have been obvious to everyone why people were congregating around these pools. Well, what's the deal? And so somebody wrote in, one of the translators wrote in a little parenthetical remark about uh, there was a belief that angels came and stirred the waters of these pools. And the first person in was healed. So that's why there was all of this all of this waiting, but that's not what was part of the original uh, the original verse. But I did want to mention it in case you see it or some Bibles put it as a note down at the bottom at the bottom of the page. But what matters here is Jesus comes up to the scene. Comes in Jerusalem and he sees the people but his focus is on this man who's been uh, an invalid for 38 years. So this man had not been able to use his limbs for as long a period of time as most people lived in that day. Okay, so for 38 years, he, he, I don't know, maybe he used his arms and he could pull himself around. Maybe he didn't have anything and his mat, people dragged his mat was his, his way to get around. We don't know those details, but what we do know is that for this long period of time, he had suffered with this circumstance. Right, so we can think about our lives when we have to go, we have to go a week uh, with some sort of irritation in our lives and we get frustrated and we, we get mad at God or we, we, have to, we have to go a year or something and, and, and we give God a hard time. This man for 38 years ha had borne this. So you can imagine that in 38 years, this, this illness, this disease, whatever was going on with him, kind of became a part of who he was. Right? How this man saw himself was through the lens of, of his disability. And we're going to see that a little bit as we go through the, as we go through the, the passage a little further. And, and I, I liken that to us. Because as, as we note things that we want to change... We let our brokenness or we let our circumstance or we let whatever it is define who we are. So this man also for 38 years had been around this pool. This pool was, was what he was looking to for, for his hope. When he was thinking about being well, when he was thinking about breaking free, it was these waters that he, he looked to. And then we're met with this amazing contrast. One day, here stands Jesus before him. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible. If you went back later today and you read the beginning of John chapter 4, okay, as we're going through the narrative of Jesus' life and the beginning of his ministry, John chapter 4, the very beginning, talks about a scene where, where Jesus confronts a woman at, at a well. 
She's drawing water. It's the heat of the day. And, and Jesus goes up to her and asks for water. And, and they have a little bit of a conversation. And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that talked to you, you would have, you would have given me water because springs of living water would burst forth from within you. And in that, in, at the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus refers to himself as living waters. So here we have, before these two pools, where all of these people were looking to for hope, we have Jesus. We have living waters. The living waters had come to him. Instead of, the, instead of this man waiting in front of these pools, Jesus, the living water, came to him and confronted him and began to talk with him. And then he asked this interesting question. And I think it's interesting because you, you would think that this is sort of an obvious thing, right? Jesus is going to ask this man, do you want to get well? He's going, yes, I've been waiting 38 years. Please, I'm ready to be well. You know, you think that this would be met with enthusiasm. I'm excited at the prospect of taking my first steps. I want to be, I want to be well. Kind of like when we think about change in our life. Right? Change isn't always met with enthusiasm. It's met with, it can be met with fear. We have a whole lot, we have a whole lot wrapped up in, in the circumstance of our life, whether we, whether we believe it or not. So is this man who's been laying by these pools for 38 years, is he ready for wellness? Okay, when he's confronted with the opportunity to, to, to be well, we see how his condition defines him and how, how he's wrapped up in it. So, as we're following along, I want to ask you the same question. Do you want to be well? Do you want to experience wellness in your marriage? Do you want to experience being well in work, in parenting, in your, in your body, in your finances, in your health, in your vitality, whatever area of life that, that is coming to mind right now, do you want to be well? We are just like, the, we are just like the, these people around the pools. We're helpless. We're blind. We can't change the circumstance of our life. We can't, we can't, we can't, we don't really have power to change a whole lot. But we try as hard as we might to solve our own problems. And just like, just like these, these people were, were looking to the pools for hope, we, we look to inadequate things to solve our problem. So when we, think about, when we think about work and we want wellness, we, we go right to, I, I need more money. Right? That would be the thing that would solve my, my problems. Or in parenting, if my kids would just behave better. Or in, in, in health, if I would just lose a little weight. I know I think about this all the time. If I just lose a little weight, if I could just change that, that one thing, I'd be well. Or we, or we look to things outside of ourselves. We look to, to, to government. We look to neighbors. We look to other people. If, if they would just help me, if I could just get this, I could be well. The things that we look to are the things that we perceive we need in order to be whole. And in truth, we're settling. It might just be you're jumping from one source of dependence to another source of dependence. So we all look to something that we think is going to, to make us well. But Jesus has come to all of us. Right? That's, that's the story of, of the New Testament. It's how Jesus left heaven. He came so that we could all be, all be made well. So what does that mean? 
So as, you, as we're sitting here, as we're going through, you know, I invite you to close your eyes. You know, if, and, and, and this man said, if I could just get in the pool, I could be made well. So if you could just what, you would be well. If you could just get along with your wife or your husband for, for the day, you'd be made well. If I could just get a 5% increase in pay, I, I would be made, be made well. If I could just lose 10 pounds, if I could just make it to the gym on time, I would be made well. I don't know what it is for you. It's different for everybody, but we all have, we all have our thing. What does it mean to be well? What is Jesus referring to here when he confronts, uh, when he confronts this man? Now, my contention to you is that, that being well is more than just changing the, the circumstance. You know, referring again to John chapter 4, if, if any of you go back a chapter and read that, when, when, when Jesus says, if you knew who it was that's talking to you, get, you'll get living waters. And the woman's reaction to this is, is this, please give me the living waters, then I won't have to come to the well. I won't have to sweat out here in the, the hot desert heat. Uh, you know, I don't, I'll have less work to do. She missed the point of Jesus' offer. But it wasn't just her, it was everyone, the disciples. Jesus said to the disciples, I have food you don't know anything about. Says this later in John chapter 4. And the disciples, when they're talking to themselves, they're like, did somebody make a, a delivery? Did he get some food? Did, did Domino's come? Did we not see it? Where did he get this food? They didn't understand that he was talking about the, the truth from, from the Father. So this happened in my own life. Uh, many years ago, I, I, I thought the problem of my life was my wife. Okay? I thought that my life would just be better if I could have a change of, a change of scenery. Okay? I had convinced myself of this. I had convinced myself that I did everything I possibly could and, and things, uh, things were not going to change. So I, I had said, I am not happy because of her. Okay? You see what I did there? had nothing to do with me. It was all about blame. It was, out, it was outside of myself. And so, so I attempted to make a change. But I found after several months, I was still not happy. Amazing how that happens. And I'm driving down the road one day and I'm angry at God. I'm yelling at him in my car. Okay, although I was not speeding, I was over on the side because I was also afraid to die at the time because I knew what I was doing was wrong. I'm yelling at God. God, why am I not happy? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you not listening? Why do you not care about me being well? And, and I, I share this with you. I'm not given to these sorts of moments. I don't want you to think that I, I believe this is how God deals with everybody. I just think I am very dense. And, and this is the only time this has ever happened to me. I heard God say, it's your sin. But even in that moment, even when, even when that realization came to me, I thought it was about, about my behavior. I thought it was I needed, I, needed to, I needed to go back to the way the old circumstance was. I didn't understand what it meant to be well. So going back to our, our, our friend on the mat, says in John chapter 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. 
So rather than the big, yes, I can't wait to be well, we've got, it's out of my hands. I got, I've got no one to help me. There, there, there's blame there. There's my, my, my being well is dependent on, on somebody else. And so maybe this is the first indication that we get that, that this man was really a little more settled into his situation that, than even he really realized. You know, he's saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm not well. I'm just laying here and the, I see the waters starting to act up and, and then somebody jumps over me and gets in. How, how, what do you expect? I'm not, I'm not responsible. Okay, there, I, I, there's, no, there's nothing that I can do. So this man, he let his circumstance cloud his perception. And I believe this is what we all do. We let our circumstances cloud our perception, whether it's how we think God is treating us or whether he loves us or not, or whether, uh, whether it's our spouse or, or something else. So his circumstance was people are letting him sit. They climbed over him. And I'm sure that's true because I'm sure people are fundamentally selfish. Okay. They're focused on who, who they are and what they need. So they were jumping over this poor guy who'd been laying there 38 years because they didn't want to miss their chance at getting what, what they needed. So because people acted as if he wasn't there, he responds to Jesus and says, it's out of my control. No one cares about me. And he was stuck. He was unfulfilled. He, he was, he, even though he was looking to those pools for hope, he had, he had lost his hope. And so his desire, to be, his desire to be well was as paralyzed as his body was. We live in a culture that climbs over each other to get something, right? It's rare when somebody is, is thinking of you, even in something as simple as traffic, right? People are climbing all over you to get, to get one car length in front of you. That, that, it, that is indicative of, of, of our culture at large. And not only that, we tend to view ourselves then through, through, through these lenses. I, I'm a quitter. Okay, I didn't follow through. I'm a quitter. Or I messed up. I'm a failure. Or I, 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 I made a mistake. Now I'm the adulterer, or I'm lazy, or I'm the alcoholic, or I am the whatever it is. And that we become trapped in, in that definition. The truth for this man is that somebody was helping him, right? If he's an invalid, how was he getting to and from the colonnade? How was he eating? Just simple things like that. Somebody was helping him, whether it was friends or family or whether it was passersby. Somebody was helping him, but he couldn't see that. He was stuck in his perception because the one thing he wanted, he wasn't getting. Just like me. I was, I was overlooking the good things about my wife because I wasn't getting the things that I felt like I needed for, to be whole. It's common. And these things keep us from seeing God, right? Be honest with yourself. When things aren't going your way, who's the first person you blame? God. If God loved me, if God loved me, uh, I, I wouldn't be sick. If God loved me, uh, I wouldn't have gotten in that accident. If God loved me, and you can, you, can fill, you can fill in the blank. 
So our, our perception of who God is gets, gets skewed as well. And the same thing happened to this man. Jesus is standing before him. Jesus is offering him wellness. And because of him being, of him being laying there for so long, he couldn't see uh, what was right in front of him. But here's the truth. God is not impressed with your excuses. He's not impressed with your excuses. He's not impressed with my excuses. He's not impressed with the man on the mat's excuses. We are all subject to a broken world. We live in it. That's the reality. It, it, there's a lot of times it really sucks here. Okay? There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a, there's a lot of tragedy. But, but God is not giving you permission to be a, a, a victim. He's not giving you permission to define who you are and who he is by what has happened. Because if Jesus didn't accept this man's excuse that he couldn't get well because he couldn't roll himself into the water quick enough, then what excuse are you going to use? You know, these are the lies that we believe. I'm not good enough. People, people don't notice me. I'm unlovable. Uh, whatever, whatever other lies uh, that, that, you, you, that you fall into. Truth is, you have a past. Right, we all do. We, we, we all have a past that feed our lies. That, that's not an excuse. You have failed. I have failed. If I allowed my failure to define me, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have been able to help people for the last seven years. I wouldn't have written, written a book. I wouldn't have done so many things that I felt like God was call, calling me to do. It's probably true somebody has done something reprehensible or awful to you at some point in the past. And I know that that's, that happens. Maybe other people are to blame for something that happened to you. But it doesn't change the question. Do you want to get well? You know, what happens to us, that grieves God. You know, when somebody selfishly acts against us, when somebody hurts us, when somebody takes advantage of us, when somebody jumped over the, the invalid man to get in the water before he did that, that breaks God's heart. Our selfishness breaks God's heart. But God still seeks us out. God still asks us the question, do you want to get well? I have this offer for you of wellness. Why The brokenness of this world is why we need Jesus in the first place. So continuing in our, in our little passage as we're, as we're following along with this man, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now notice this. This, I think, is, the, is what the passage is, is teaching us, what we're to take away. The man never said yes. Right? Do you see a yes here? He never said yes, heal me. I'm ready for it. I've been ready. Thank you, Jesus. The man never says yes. We're not told that he had any faith in who Jesus was. Now, we're also told that he didn't. I always leave room that maybe some things happen that we're not told. The, you know, the Bible isn't uh, exhaustive uh, in, in everything that was written. It, there's no way that it, it could be. But maybe the man's faith wasn't the point. And I, I think that's the truth. I think Jesus knows what's best for for us better than we do. I think Jesus knows what it takes for us to understand who he is better. And so for this man, it might have been he needed to walk so he could understand uh, who Jesus was. 
better. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith and my faith and everyone's faith. That, that, is the, that is the reality. The number one concern he has is your faith, that you know him, that you have, you have a deeper and deeper intimacy and trust in, in who he is. So if you've ever wondered why your, your circumstance doesn't change, if you ever wondered why something happens in your, in your life, I think that things happen to us because that's what's necessary for our faith. Okay? Just, it's the mystery of living in this world. God is active. God is present. And he wants us to grip onto him only, not grip onto the things of this world. Faith is not performance. Okay? Here is my number one pet peeve. When, when, when we in, in groups and to each other, when we share things with each other, if I tell you what's on my heart and the struggle that I'm having, and somebody says, have more faith, as if faith is something like, like a tube of toothpaste that I can just squeeze out of myself, and if I have enough, then everything that I want is going, going to happen. Faith is what you believe to be true what you believe to be true about you and what you believe to be true about God. What truth are you, what truth are you letting rattle around in, in your brain? In fact, the whole have more faith, the, the standard of faith that Jesus gives is pretty low. He says all you need is a mustard seed, a seed that you can't even see. You just need that much faith and, and God will be part of your life and he will, he will enter in. So this man who after Jesus says, take up your mat and walk, I'm guessing he had the mustard seed and he enters into the grace of God. See, that, that's the thing that I think we sometimes miss when we're following Jesus is this idea of grace. Grace is not something we earn. The grace of Jesus is not something that, 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 that we have acted so well that we get. We get, we get grace from God despite our, ourselves. And so by picking up the mat, by standing up, by even flexing his quadriceps that he hadn't used in 38 years, he was entering into grace. This is what it means to be well. Being well means opening yourself to the grace of God. Being well means giving up control and allowing yourself to be bathed in grace. Not just at the, not just at the first point. I think we all love grace when we first know Jesus, right? And we, we get baptized and okay, grace. Then after that, we're like, it's all on me now. I got to work really hard to be a really good disciple. Grace never ends. We, we stand before a throne of grace. But because we're fundamentally self-centered, I think we're, we'd be more comfortable if, if we got penance instead of grace. Right? Instead of, instead of getting what we don't deserve, I think we'd rather work it off. Okay, God, I made all these mistakes in the past. I'm going to do this many good things and we're going to even out and then you can't ask anything of me. I don't need anything of you. But that's not grace. Okay, and we couldn't keep that up. 
grace is tougher than it sounds. And that's why we sit by the edge of the pool. And that's why we make excuses that, oh man, I would just get in if somebody would roll me over. Oh, I would, I, I would just be a better disciple if this was true, true of my life. Jesus just gave the word to this man. Jesus just spoke it and it happened. And in Hebrews chapter four, here's what we're told about the, about the word of God. The word of God is alive and active. Okay? It's, it's present right now. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to defying soul and spirit. It goes right to the deepest part of you. That's what truth does. The joints and merit judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I don't know if you remember, but if you go back to the first page of the Bible, it's the word of God, his words that started the universe in the first place. So what we see from this man, he picks up his mat, he's walking, he's entered into grace. Okay, he, he, he's going to be well now, just like we get the chance to be well. But here's what happens obedience, okay, doing what Jesus said, being his disciple, this causes friction with the, with the old ways. Being well means we have to confront others that are not well. And we are, we are confronted with blame and resistance and discomfort. So for instance, okay, if for the longest time you were, you were dependent on another person's approval, whether it was a spouse or a friend or a family member, if you lived dependent on their approval, but then you decide, I'm going to take Jesus' offer and I am going to be, be well. And the only approval I need is that, that comes from God. That's going to change your relationship. Now you're taking something away from that other person who has, who has been really liking the fact that you're dependent on their approval. And now you're going to be met with resistance. Or, or maybe you're dependent on having more money, right? And at work, because you're dependent on more money, you do more work. But when you realize, you know what? I have everything I need in Christ and God's going to take care of me and my, my, my focus is going to change. I think I'm going to spend a little time with my family once in a while or, or, or develop a hobby. You're going to be met with resistance. And the problem is that when we get met with resistance, that's when we're confronted with, do I want to get well? That's what happened to my client that I mentioned at the top of, uh, top of the message. He would leave our session and he'd be energized and excited about the steps that we had. But as soon as he would make one and, and he was met with some resistance, like maybe he'd have to get a little more education or maybe his boss wasn't going to give him time off or what have you, he, he, he collapsed in on himself and it was, no longer, it was no longer important. It wasn't, it didn't mean enough to him. And so this man who, who, this man who's carrying his mat says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. One of the commandments is to respect the Sabbath, keep it holy, do no work. And so the Jewish leader said to the man that had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? 
And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and, and was not there. Now, here's, here's something to, here's a truth for us. In the 38 years, the religious leaders had ignored or marginalized this guy. They were happy to walk by the pools and not see this man until he picked up his mat on a Sabbath. Now, the behavior or the situation of this man has definite meaning to them. And notice their first question. Okay, their first question is all about control. It's all about the resistance that being well was, was, was met with. Their question is, who told you to do this? Who told you that you could break the law? Instead of, who healed you? You've been laying there for 38 years. This is amazing. They were amazed at the wrong thing. They were amazed that the man was, was breaking the law that they had instituted instead of being amazed at the, at the one who healed. As you read through the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that it's a regular occurrence for, for Jesus to heal somebody on the Sabbath. He did this. This, is, this was a very in-your-face move by Jesus. Because the Sabbath regulations were, 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 were symptomatic of people trying to control who God was. You see, yes, God said in the commandments, keep the Sabbath holy, do no work. But then from there, the Pharisees, the spiritual leader, man added to that burden. The idea that you couldn't pick up your mat and go from one place to another, that was not part of the law. That doesn't diminish God's, that God's holiness. But... It was an issue of control, and so hence the resistance. Anyone who claims, this is, John writes this in, in one of his letters to the, to the churches. So this is from 1 John. Does anyone who claims to be in the light, so meaning anyone who claims to be in relationship with God, anybody who claims to know the truth, but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And that speaks to this Pharisee that confronted this man who's now picking up his, his mat and walking. He didn't love this man. He didn't love, he, if he had loved him, he would have he tipped the guy in the water a long time ago. He loved being a, a Pharisee. And so here's the truth that I want to share with you. If you're going to leave here and you're going to be like, I want to be well. I want to live more fully for, for God. I want to know Jesus better. That approval does not mean you are well. I think a lot of us judge how good we're doing in our life by the approval that we get. You know, the pats on the back and the attaboys and the, the I, I, I respect you, I think you're amazing. I think that's how we judge who we are as a person. But this man, he was taking steps. He was walking in freedom. Okay? And the Pharisees tried to impose limits on that freedom. They didn't approve. Being well is not always met with approval. But notice this man, he was still struggling with the old ways. And, and this, is where, this is where we are. This is when we turn back. Is, is he responds to the Pharisee by blaming. Right? So when, when Jesus says, do you want to get well? He says, I got no one to help me get well. It's not his fault. And now the, the, the Pharisees say, who told you, to, who told you, you could uh, pick up your mat? And he says, somebody else told me. Not me. This isn't my fault. Old ways die hard. That's why we have to take captive our thoughts. That's why we have to renew our mind. It's a process. It takes time. It takes persistence and perseverance. And so 
we get to we get to the end of this passage. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. So Jesus says, see, you got what you wanted. Okay, you got this thing that for 38 years that, that you had been hoping for. But now Jesus is taking it a little deeper because that's the, this man's ability to walk or not was not the point. This man's ability to walk was the thing that had to happen so he could see who Jesus was. Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, we see the word stop sinning and you're like, there it is. Right there it is. I've just got to try harder. I've just got to be better. It is all about my performance, isn't it? God doesn't love me unless I, unless I perform. But that's not, that's not what Jesus is, is driving at here. Jesus is driving at, now that you've experienced grace, walk in this grace. Okay? Now, that you, now that you've looked to me, the living waters, for your hope instead of to these pools, don't, don't look to the approval of man. Don't look to these other things. Continue to look to me. And, and you notice what he did after this, the, this last verse, 15, that, that we're looking at. When Jesus gave him that command, he went to right his wrong. Instead of saying, I don't know who did this, he went back and said, Jesus did. He didn't have to go confront the Pharisees. I'm sure there was problems in, in doing that because the Pharisees were not very forgiving people. I'm sure, I'm sure there was an argument. I'm sure there was condemnation. He might have been excommunicated. I mean, that, that happened to other people the Pharisees had confrontation with. But he went back. Stop sinning means stop looking to other things. Stop making excuses. Stop, stop looking to, to, to the things of the world, but look to Jesus. You might have to endure your circumstance, but, but Jesus is the hope. So growing in Christ means learning to look to Christ first. Instead of when something happens, looking, oh, if I just had more money, or oh, if I, just, uh, if I just had more friends, or oh, if I just had a better job, or oh, if my car just ran consistently. Instead of looking to other things, looking to Jesus first. Because later in John chapter 5, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. When you hear the words and you believe, You've crossed over from death to life. Jesus is addressing the heart. And this is, this is the idea of our identity. What are, you, what are you grasping onto for wholeness? What's making the difference in your life? And when Jesus addresses the Pharisees and this, this attitude of, of control and heaping burdens on people, and, and it's all about behavior and how you look on the outside, even though the inside's dead, this is what Jesus says to them. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They're looking for life somewhere else. They're looking for life in their position or their power or their leadership or, or how they keep people subjugated. They were not looking to, to God for life because if they did, they would have recognized who Jesus was. So they studied the scripture because they thought, that, thought that's where life was. And those are Jesus' words, not 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 my own. They obeyed the rules because that's where they thought life was. They, they thought creating a better outside is what, what, what meant you were a follower. But that's not well. 
that's covering the problem. So as, as you leave here, what I'm hoping your response be, what your question you ask yourself is, do I want to be well? Am I willing to, am I willing to put it all in the hands of Jesus regardless of my circumstance, regardless of whether I get what I want or not? Am I going to believe that I am fully loved and approved by God in Christ, and will that be enough? Then, when you walk in that grace, you are well. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much that Jesus is not afraid to ask us the question of the heart. What is it that we long for? Do we just long for a better version of our present circumstance, or do we long for something that is, that is totally new, that will, that, will, that will change our soul, that will give us freedom and peace with you? I pray for all of us that that would be our desire, that we would pursue that desire uh, with, with reckless abandon, that we would let nothing keep us from answering the question of Jesus, do you want to get well, with a, with a yes, I will, do, I will do anything to be well. I will follow you anywhere. I will pick up my mat. I will do it on a Sabbath, whatever it takes to be well. Thank you for the offer. You didn't have to make it. You made this offer because you love us. And uh, thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.